I'm Mike Wood. And I'm Justin DeClue. And you're listening to the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast. Where we talk about very fine comic books. And this week, it's a big summer blowout, Mike. It's going through all the Marvel titles. Your favorite character, specifically Mike's, the High Evolutionary. <laughs> I have a lot of nostalgia for this character. Uh, I don't know why, and I don't know if we I will s- discuss this. still have it when... Uh, Rereading this big summer blockbuster event, but um, in 1988, Marvel tried something new, which was let's do a big crossover that does not, you know, require you reading like here's six months of X Men and six months of Uncan and six months of well, it, was- it doesn't. Because when I read these comics, yeah. I was like, I, uh, what is going on? It, it did have some weird uh, threads that uh, seemed to require a lot of foreknowledge, mm-hmm. but. Um, it ran through the annuals only, and sorry, this crossover called the Evolutionary War ran through all of Marvel's annuals that summer, covering about like what a dozen or fourteen, eleven, or so? I believe, eleven, okay. yeah, somewhere well, 12, in that region, including Alf, yeah, and actually not all of them because Thor didn't appear as uh, an annual. He did not, but yeah. some single issues of Thor tied into the Evolutionary right, War right. later on, yeah, yeah, and um, well. I say they tied into them. Here's the thing about this crossover. I'm going to say it right even before we jump into what are we reading. Yeah. I have no idea what's going on here. Like, I even read the what if issue of like, what if they had lost the evolutionary war? That was war? great. And yeah. I want to talk about that one at the okay. end too. Because yeah, that clarified yeah. what the evolutionary, high evolutionary was trying to do. And it kind of should have been the real last issue in a way. Well, <laughs> well I mean, everybody <laughs> dies at the end. So. Just like every what every, if. Every what if. Yeah. But first, uh, we'll talk about what we're reading. And I'm going to do a short one, even though it is a totemic topic i'm talking about yusagi yojimbo yusagi yusagi right i actually have never been sure uh you've never read this mike even though it's been around forever oh no i've read uh the grasshopper storyline which is i think volume five went in this single issue version of the collections and i read it on my friend jason's recommendation who said this is considered like the best one kind of like how with cerebus people say you can read just high High society. society yeah grass cutter is Considered yeah, that's like the one that's always definitive. recommended. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't believe. I wonder is that contained within this original uh, run of the comic that I have? Because I picked up Fantagraphics, just reprinted wow. the early uh, Usagi Yojimbo, uh, the first seven volumes that starts in 1984. Oh my God. This is a gorgeous looking collection. Yep, just came out. This is reprinted all the time. I believe yeah. it was a collection like this. 10 years ago that came out and this has everything from that period including his uh, appearance in TMNT. Yusaji Yojimbo showed up in the original 80s TMNT cartoon as well. Yeah, and, and in the original comic. And when you say uh, his, you're referring to Stan Sakai. Yes. Uh, the creator of Yusaji. Who's still doing it to this day? Yeah. Is he still doing Yusaji um, comics? Apparently he's still around. I keep seeing like random things Wait, here. Wait, I don't even say what this is. It's a rabbit. It's just anthropomorphic. I can't say the word. You know what I mean. Anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic uh, animals doing like uh, samurai and, you know, it's right in the title, Yojimbo, mm. Akira Kurosawa style yeah. stuff, wasn't, Lone Wolf and Cub. Wasn't there like a recent or a newly developed Netflix series? Yes, there was, okay. but it was set in the future. Oh. Like that was the gimmick of it. So okay. it didn't really look like that. I don't remember what it's called either. Stan Sakai was lightly involved in it. I think it lasted more than, well, I say it lasted more than one season. The way that Netflix structure their shows, they buy three seasons, mm-hmm. only put one on and then say, it's been renewed. When in reality, they had actually commissioned all the episodes already. So. Mm. Uh, but there's never been like a classic adaptation of the comics uh, in any kind of big way. So it's kind of like bone in that way. Interesting. Yeah, these are thick, like, you know, over an inch thick volumes, two volumes in like a, a slip case, kind of like DC's Absolute Editions, but you have two books the, in one. These are one of like the legendary comics, like Love and Rockets, Yusaji Yojimbo, 
uh, especially of like, you know, one creator who did it the entire way. Uh, yeah, they're each like uh, almost 600 pages each. Mm-hmm. And you can get them online for, I believe, 120 bucks. Now, when is- I read the Grass Cutter volume, I got the sense that like there's so much real life Japanese history yes, in is. here, but transposed into this framework of like, here's some anthropomorphic animals. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt I learned quite a bit. There was stuff about some naval battles and this and that. Oh, yeah. There's really tons of that kind of information. It prompted me to read more. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we'll have to do one day an episode on good old Usagi, especially that I've been trying to focus my podcast towards like, all right, I just got this book. How Mm. can I implement it? And so reading it (laughs) is uh, fun and work at the same time. That's a win-win. So what are you reading, Mike? Well, like I said last week, I... Oh, been... I should also say, Fantagraphics, send me and Mike free copies of these things. Maybe we'll recommend them. Now, in this case, I bought it like a sucker. But if you send it, we'd be even more willing to say, oh, this just came out. I love Fantagraphics, and I always make a point of seeing uh, their panels and anything at TCAF or other shows. <laughs> I'm your biggest fan. I, but you yeah. don't buy their stuff, right? Because you're a poor comic book reader. But you talk about them mm-hmm. if they send them to you for free. I guess so. Yeah. Come on, Mike. You got you to gotta sell yourself here. <laughs> well, that's a great transition to what I've been reading, which is because you can read this for free online. And as I mentioned... <laughs> Superman been, again? This is, this is a 30-something page ad for a restaurant chain in Japan that I guess contracted DC. I don't know how this came about. Yeah, and it's I Kodensha. Assume, that's a big comic book publisher. And is Meishi the chain? It's never made clear in this. And uh, it's Superman manga. I have no, I've never heard of this uh, artist. And if you know who they are, I'd love to know. Kai Katago and Satoshi Miyagawa. Uh, do you know who they are? No, I have no idea, yeah. I've clearly done uh, no research at all. Nope. Um, you literally are recommending an ad that you read <laughs> for free online. And as far as ads go, it is adorable. Okay. It's uh, you know a full 30-something page manga issue of Clark Kent having one-hour break for lunch from Daily Planet. Perry White is insisting he's back in 60 minutes, and he's able to fly to Japan in uh, 30 seconds, uh, go to one of these, uh, I think it's called Kenshi. Yeah, Meshi. Meshi right. is the location. Is it? I, Superman versus Meshi. All right. Uh, so. I, I need to... Mike can't recommend just an ad for something. Uh, read Superman Smashes the Clan by Gene Lun Yan. <laughs> I've heard amazing things about that one. But, uh, <laughs> but Sorry, I'm busy reading this <laughs> ad for a restaurant I can't go to. So I like how Superman breaks down how long it takes for each particular food item. All to right, arrive. that's enough of that. <laughs> And uh, he gets a rice hot pot when he has only 20 minutes left in his lunch, but it's going to take 30 minutes for it to simmer properly, so he uses his heat vision, and it actually adds a little caveat there that uh, Superman can actually control the density of his heat vision when he wants. Um, but uh, I bring this up to say... I don't like it because yeah. I can't eat Japanese food because I'm allergic to fish. Really? Yep. Oh. No Japanese food ever. Well, all he eats here is uh, beef, pork, and cabbage. Does and he? rice, so you're okay. Does it maybe have uh, fish sauce that's poured on it and stuff like that? Actually, usually, be. Yeah, I usually I try to avoid that. Um, but I bring this up uh, to bring up the fact that apparently... like You can read this for free online. There's also a for sale issue version of this. Um, and I keep seeing add comics like this coming out and there was a recent one did you see this uh black panther and shuri talking about visa comic that's disgusting i know that's why i bring this up the superman one was kind of adorable he's going and eating japanese food like yeah yeah that's wonderful 
there's uh this Black Panther and Shuri one that came out uh where they're talking about Visa and how Visa can help you uh you know save for the future and really trying to spin the idea of credit as like a really positive thing. No, it's bad. It is disgusting and it's yeah. a comic that is very very distinctly aimed at children. Wasn't and there was one like, about like Marvel defending like weapons contractors? Remember they what? had a panel about this and it got canceled at the last minute? No, yeah, I yeah. never heard about that. I mean, uh, maybe it was hosted by Iron Man, the weapons contractor oh, himself. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So listen, all I want Spider-Man to sell me are um, disgusting baked goods and packages, <laughs> fruit pies. Yep, yep. That's about the limit that Hostess I want. Pies. And sell you on the idea of not doing drugs and do practicing good bike safety, <laughs> like we right. talked about last week. <laughs> So let's jump right into this topic because it's a big one. This is a big one. It is the evolutionary war, which I think Mike brought up when Guardians 3 came out. I was like, oh, it's the high evolutionaries of villains. Mike like, oh, I remember the evolutionary. Back in my day, they had a company <laughs> crossover. And since then, I was like, well, I'm going to get these issues of the comic. Mm -hmm. And this was the reason to read them all. And so I had never, I mean, as a kid had the money to follow any kind of crossover or any of that stuff that was completely out of my purview like anytime there was a crossover i was like what the hell's going on eh, i'm not gonna read this i guess <laughs> yeah crossovers are a tough gamble like every now and then you'll get something like the uh, age of apocalypse where it's like oh my god you need to be buying every single x title for that like led seven months to the clone saga yeah because yeah. they were trying to rip off the age because the age of apocalypse was so uh, popular so i mean those were mid to late 90s crossovers so compared to those this one was let's say relatively slight at just 11 or 12 issues mm -hmm. and you didn't have to read any monthly titles no either. no <laughs> i was gonna say for it to make sense but uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah we'll get kind of give that. or take some of these are standalone some not so much but uh as a kid i liked the fact that each issue was very clearly you know demarcated maybe not on the cover but on the page within like this is chapter three of the evolutionary war and they split it up in an interesting way where uh, there was an A story and a B story that ran concurrently through all dozen annuals. And the main story was, you know, the story set in the present of what's going on with the high evolutionary and his plan, however nebulous that plan might seem. And we'll <laughs> yeah. get to that. Uh, and the B story was the origin of the high evolutionary. Okay. The yeah. origin of the high evolutionary is so convoluted. It is bananas, to use a word that you love. Yes. Um, so, like, the high evolutionary... Uh, when I watched Guardian of the Galaxy 3, he's the villain. Mm -hmm. My main, you know, issue with him as a character was, what is his, like, how is he a super villain? Yeah. Like, he wants to make evolve things, which you see in these comics. Yeah. Like, he wants to make, like, dogs into dog men. That's pre pretty <laughs> much his thing. He's kind of like, um, oh, Dr. Moreau. Or yes. No, sorry. No, not your Yeah, no, no, you're right. Dr. Moreau, the island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, you're yeah. correct. You know, uh, Dr. Hibbert in that classic Treehouse of Horror episode. Mm. Um, but the comics themselves are like, he can also grow giant, like at one point. Yeah, it's... Uh... Oh, don't even get me started that uh, he had children. No, he was helped by the spirit that had defeated King Arthur and that spirit possessed... <laughs> 
uh, the twins that were also Max, like like uh, Quicksilver yeah, and the Scarlet Witch. That's like a lot of this is retcon because the High Evolutionary had appeared in comics pre Forever. before this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the origin story here was tying in like some stuff that was already known about him with trying to interlink him to like the the birth of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, the origin of like the Darkhold, which is that the magical... book. You, it's actually in Doctor Strange and the uh, Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, it's about yeah. the Darkhold, and yeah. it appeared in the Agents of Shield show, uh, which is probably not. No, nope, never watched it. Anyway, yeah, okay, canonical. The whole season. Did you deals watch with it. all Agents of Shield? Like the first four seasons. Okay, how many seasons were there? I think it went up to six or seven. Uh, were you like, yeah, Ghost Rider, but he's driving around in a car? I guess. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know. I just <laughs> lost interest after yeah. a time. It's bad. Yeah. Um and his yeah, the high evolutionary you you never really get too much of a sense w- of what he He's is. He's a big purple dude. He looks cool. Yeah. Like his the start of his origin is has a very like classic like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein thing. Like he's uh uh you know, a young man in like what, 1900 or so. Yes. And he's studying genetics, at least as early, you know, I early guess we forms had never really it. got an origin story for him before. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it had actually come up, but um, <laughs> uh, let's not forget yeah. that he also meets a werewolf that he did not evolve. He's just a guy that lives next door. That's yes, a his, his neighbor on his like Eastern European <laughs> property is a werewolf. Uh, also, his like business partner is the dad of Jessica Drew, aka Spider Woman. Oh, that's what? who that is. Okay, the little girl who gets sick and he puts in a coma, which n- oh, yeah. never I, like dawned on me who that was so, at the time. Yes, as a, when I was because reading, I remember kid. reading Spider Woman's origin story, and it's like she got sick and she had to be put in, an, and she got like they transferred spider blood, and she got bit by a spider, or something, and that's how she turned into Spider Woman. This episode will be a lot of us going like, "What is going on? Who is this person? How did this happen?" Yeah, he um. So early on, like he seems obsessed with, and this is, we're still just talking about the origin story here, which is like yeah, the so B story. All that runs eleven all. issues, the C story in each issue is his origin. That mm-hmm. like, if you read it in order, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, etc. Yeah, and apparently the omnibus version uh, doesn't collect these issue by issue with like here's A story, C story. They I think put all of the origin as its own thing, yeah. and then the actual. Well, story good luck finding the omnibus because I think it's like three hundred and fifty dollars if yeah, you want to find. Yeah, a lot it. of these Marvel omnibuses that are not a big draw go out of print they had one print run only and then they go for hundreds hundreds, hundreds but of i look at uh, at the beguiling and i see that big hardcover of hmm atlantis attacks <laughs> an, a future uh crossover event which is slightly telegraphed in this one oh, with is it? the um the atlanteans versus the lemurians i think that's what atlantis oh my attacks god are. all right so let's start at uh, the yeah. beginning anyway with the first issue we'll go issue by issue share yeah. our thoughts do we rank them? Which one is the best? Which one is the worst? Yeah, so basically, before we get into this, the high evolutionary's plan, let's say, if there even is one, is seems so really nebulous. comes out and says it, right? Yeah, because like you said, it's like, does he want to turn animals into humans? He also talks, though, about but he wanting also wants to advance to, the human race. And he also wants to sterilize mole people. That is what happens in his first appearance. Yeah, and... I think that first issue... X-Factor. Uh, in X-Factor's yeah. annual... I have it in my hands right here. Unnatural Selection. I love this issue because uh, the... <laughs> I'm making faces. Apocalypse was brand new at the time. Okay. Apocalypse was created by Walter and Louise Simonson, who were writing X-Factor. And uh, the f- just... I don't know. I guess the the main storyline involving the X Factor team members and the Mole Man is kind of eh. But I loved seeing the uh, evolutionary and apocalypse... 
like sort of sparring ideologies because Apocalypse's ethos, you know, he's much more popular villain and you've probably seen him across lots of media is just that, you know, mutants course, are, are number one. by Oliver Isaacs in that uh, X-Men movie everybody loved, I've right? already forgotten that Oscar I, Isaacs I've never him. seen that movie. Oh my God. Doesn't he touch wow. a TV and he's like, I'm learning or something like that? Yeah, something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, this. I think the point of this story was just to introduce you to like, here's the high evolutionary's ethos as confusing yeah, as it may be. but it doesn't introduce it. It doesn't so really. confusing. Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do. Apocalypse comes off as much more clear a character. Like, the comic starts, and they're fighting the Mole Man, X-Factor, who... Who is X Factor? Because in this comic, the original five X Men. Okay, yeah. So that's not what it would be. Iceman, Beast, and it would uh, change though. Later, it would change. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the weird thing is, Beast has been reverted to his like 1960s human self here, but then in the Avengers Annual, he's a Beast again. A couple weeks later, yeah, he's back to being the Blue Beast. So I don't really know what was happening. And again, like you said earlier. There are clearly things happening in the comics at the time that are not telegraphed enough in this. Beast is back to being human, and he's not smart like he was in his uh, blue furry form. Mm -hmm. He's uh, more just almost kind of Hulk-like. Yeah. And he talks about that, too. Like, his brain is kind of fading away, and, like, the more he uses his strength, he gets dumber or something like that. Um, Not very well telegraphed, but the basic uh, premise of this issue is that uh, the High Evolutionary wants to destroy all the Mole Men because... he wants to sterilize the Mole Men. And they say it over and over again. Yeah. And, okay, so I want to go through a a rating system, if we will. Is this a good introduction to the Evolutionary War? No. I don't think it is. I don't know what's going on. If I didn't know any better, I wouldn't know the High Evolutionary is really the villain in this. Yeah. Uh, Is it a good introduction issue to X-Factor? No. Neither. No. This is a good introduction to Apocalypse, actually. I guess. Who had, I think Great was, cover for yeah, this Yeah, incredible cover. Who drew this? Because this I doesn't think, feel like... I think like... that's a Walt Simonson cover. Yeah, that's it's, what it, it looks, looks like. It looks ang- angly, like yeah. his style. Because the uh, penciler of this is Terry Shoemaker, who I'm not familiar with. Mm. Al Milgram is the inker. Al Milgram is an artist, too, isn't he? Because he illustrated some of the issues he is. that we're yeah, about yeah. to talk about. Uh, and does it make me want to read the other issues in the Evolutionary War? Yeah. No. No. Not really. Uh, as far as like a part one is concerned, it's not great. It does. I think it's kind of just trying to introduce you the fact that look, the High Evolutionary has goons. He has these like robotic armor-clad, hilariously mostly a lot of like extremist white men. Yes. <laughs> I kind of like that. It's like, you know, you're getting a bunch of just like very alienated, uh, you know, guys who are like, we're going around killing for. Um, the high evolutionary. Woohoo! Yeah, they're just random schmoes who he's hired. Like he's just went and found some goons, All gave right. them battle armor. We need to keep moving, or else yeah, we'll we never do. get through this. Yeah. Uh, the Punisher Annual Number One. This is my favorite issue. Okay, so it's, it's a it's standalone still issue. Punisher storyline, where yeah. basically the Punisher is just going around. He's he wants to kill uh, like a drug dealer. Yep. And he has to team up with him because uh, high evolutionary's goons show up. Great art. Uh, it's written by Mike Barron. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the artist on it? Was it Mark Texiera? It is. Yeah. Mark Texiera. Oh, he's the guy who did Space Punisher, right? Uh, and, yeah, and a lot yeah. of Punisher stuff, a lot of Ghost Rider stuff. Um, actually, incredible Ghost Rider. Did he artist. do the like, manga-inspired Ghost Rider in that, like, when Johnny Blaze took over Ghost Rider? Or was that somebody else? In the 90s? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he did some of that stuff. Um, I love this issue because it's basically the Punisher's out to get, like, a, I guess, like Pablo Escobar sort of drug lord. Mm-hmm. Like, massive drug lord and some unnamed, like, like, you know, Central or South American country, but then the High Evolutionary's goons show up, and they're just trying to kill the same drug lord because the High Evolutionary sees drugs as, like... A, this is real yeah, thin. this is very... <laughs> so the High Evolutionary's trying to 
um, kill the drugs. Dr- yeah, yeah, kill the it. drugs because they are also a deterrent to human evolution. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he's his goons are doing it in a sloppy way where they're killing all the civilians or just napalming this whole community. And so the Punisher actually teams up with this Pablo Escobar sort of guy to take out these um, robot armor-clad goons. Oh, no. Does yeah. the Punisher at the end have to kill this Pablo Escobar guy at the end because he tries to shoot him in the back? Yep. Well, you have to read the issue to find... No, no, Mike, you spoiled it. <laughs> However, so I was going to say... I love this retroactively made funnier the scene in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 where Star Lord uh, mentions the octopus meth dealer to the high evolutionary. Oh, Do you remember why? that scene? No. Where they're driving along, they've, they've uh, commandeered that Bat Lady's car, yeah. and they're driving to the High Evolutionary Who would later space. die with her children oh, when the, the uh, High Evolutionary uh, nuked the planet. Yeah, and you Not remember- commented upon by the Guardians. <laughs> and you remember the. Yeah. And you remember how they're driving through like the downtown of that oh, yeah, city? Yeah. And they're like, oh, look at all the drugs. Yeah. And he sees this like octopus meth dealer. Yeah. And then uh, the high evolutionaries talk about how great a society is. And Star-Lord mentions something about how like, oh, yeah, well, you got octopuses dealing meth. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And the high evolutionary stops smiling and just says, uh, yes. Mm, uh. And then that's when he decides to just destroy the planet and kill the whole experiment. So it's really Star-Lord's fault. Yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, so we got to keep moving. We though. do. Uh, Silver Surfer Annual Number One. Uh, this one was okay. I thought it was okay. I actually knew nothing about the Super Scroll. I, I other you never than, heard of the Super Scroll. No, I know before? that he exists. Okay, and I love playing oh. in uh, Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom Three. If you ever played that, no, I never played it. The they fighting couldn't game. get the Fantastic Four for but that they got game. The Super Scroll and the Super Scroll was like the way of getting all those powers right, into the game. Because he didn't appear in a Fantastic Four uh, comic first. He appeared in something else. Right, and they weren't allowed to use those characters. Yeah, because Fox locked owned up them at somehow. the time. Yeah. Uh, so the thing about this though is they. <laughs> sum up the Super Skrulls backstory. This is not the first appearance of cancer in these annuals where they're like, <laughs> the Super Skrull was turned into radiation, mm-hmm. then he was turned into matter again, and when he turned into matter he had cancer, <laughs> and then he was turned back into radiation, and then when he came back he was cured. I like that he has some different name for it, which is something that already happened in uh, the death of Captain Marvel, graphic yeah. novel Jim Starlin, where he gets cancer and dies, but he calls it like the black or something like that. Oh, I thought that. he calls it cancer in death of uh, Captain Someone Marvel. Someone else calls it cancer, but there's some like Cree name for it. So I like that, you know, the idea that cancer is universal, but every species will have their own name for it. And uh, I love the page turn transition in this where... Uh, he finds out that the Kree army's been defeated. And he's like, no, he's like, no. And then you turn the page and he's just like in shock. Yeah. Like you think Good. he's going to freak out and he's just like, he can't. Silver Surfer it. gets it in this with, uh, I guess, Galactus's Herald, a Starfire. Or the Eternals are the ones. Oh, the Eternals trying. show up. So what a bunch of losers. Yeah. Here's how unmemorable they are that I read this at the time, forgot the Eternals existed until like sometime, I don't know, 10, 20 years later. They, they are so nondescript in this. Yeah. They they don't well, come off as like. Thank God we have a movie that made them pop up <laughs> off screen, right? Yeah. Ugh. I can't wait for that Black Knight uh, spinoff series that's coming. <laughs> what? Well, that's no, it's not. It's not happening. Oh right, yeah, because yeah, they set it up at guys. the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so New Mutants Annual Number Four was the next part. Okay, and the people are like, wait, but what is the high evolutionary story through? There's no story. There's no through line. He's just doing stuff yeah every single issue is mostly like his goons Mm. out trying to either 
capture someone that he needs to experiment on, which is what happens in this New Mutants one, or exterminate some other uh, type of person or something. I like this New Mutants issue. I thought this was quite good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know these characters at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, wait, Magneto's in charge of the New Mutants? <laughs> what, what is going on? Yeah, that happened for a while before Cable t- came in and took over. Um, but I loved Warlock uh, being in this one. Yeah, Warlock is yeah. a guy that looks really weird and can shapeshift, I guess? He looks like techno-ish. Yeah, he's kind of like a techno-plastic man. Well, we all remember these classic characters from that Fox movie, The New Mutants, right? Oh, I never saw that. I forgot that existed. Yeah. Did you watch that? No, but oh, God. <laughs> in the uh, there's a commentary on the Blu-ray, okay. and the director does not mention the movie once. Oh, wow. He's with the artist of the, the famous artist who did the Demon Bear story of New Mutants. Bill Sinkwitz. And they just talk about his art. Like, that's all they do for what? 90 minutes. That's amazing. Yeah. I listened to that. Have you listened to that? No, I just oh, know okay. that that's... I remember reading a review and the person's like, they don't mention the movie once because it was supposedly, like, completely recut out from under the director. Oh, wow. Who would then go on to do the stand show that everybody loved. Wait, and by that, I mean nobody liked it. There was a new stand show. I didn't even... Like, my mind is blown right now. You need to like, get on I, the internet, Mike. I really should. You know what? <laughs> uh, just like Mark Hanson, not a TV guy. No. Well, I, you wouldn't have watched it anyway. I wouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we have... Uh, Fantastic Four Annual. Now, this is the one that I was reading, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, I was so lost here. So, like, it opens up. (laughs) First of all, what is going on with the thing? Yeah. He's like, Super spiky. Yeah, it's like every single rock on him is like a jagged, pointy spike. Now, is this just uh, the art? Of the guy who drew it? I don't think so, because I think there's like one line that references Yeah, that references that he's spiky now. It doesn't say who drew this. I see finishers, breakdown, story, colors, letters. Well, breakdown is usually the first pencil. Oh, yeah, Kieran Dwyer. Yeah, so they did the Oh, I know that name. Yeah, I can't remember what And, I mean, this also has the appearance of She-Thing, who's like the thing, but like horrifyingly smooth she kind of looks like a burn victim yeah i thought the same thing i she is uh really really unsettling to look at and they're clearly in love and i have no idea what's going on it seems like the fantastic four is at this point thing she thing johnny storm and crystal oh medusa's sister is she a sister Uh, or daughter uh sister i believe sister okay uh, you get to see the thing and she thing take a bath. Okay. <laughs> uh, in detail. Yeah. Uh, isn't this the Stan Lee character here, Willie Lumpkins? Yeah, that's the mailman of the Fantastic Four's Baxter mm-hmm. Building, who Stan Lee played in the uh the first Chris Evans movie. One of the problems with these annuals is they're constantly summing up stories that happened before, <laughs> where they're like. Ah, we did. We found some teleportation warps between Molly's realm and some other places. A city run by a wizard named Belasco and a city <laughs> run by kitties in a city in another planet. Well, I'll spare you the details, but it all led to a bunch of mysterious aliens named the Beyonders who live... Who can't... Like, yeah. what? <laughs> I honestly thought this was the absolute like bottom of the barrel of every issue we're talking about today. Really? I in thought terms of X Factor was the worst. Oh, really? Like, I thought the... The, the need to know and exposition and and stuff was just just overloaded me with this <laughs> and there was a really there's some really funny pages where the beyonder shows up mm-hmm. the thing goes okay can you tell us what's going on and the beyonder's like i just watch and oh the watcher does the that. watcher yeah, yeah the watcher. he almost seems a little like a 
bit slow. Yeah. And then another watcher shows yeah. up and, he, and they go, well, I'll tell you what. And he's like, we just watch. Yeah. Normally the watcher is full of exposition. Like it's like, he does do I a, am forbidden to interfere. He, he does do yada, a bunch of exposition because remember but, he talks to the high evolutionary oh, where they does. sum up yeah, yeah, all yeah. the stuff that's happened before. And then at the end, I think he again it says, I just watch. And uh, oh, the big dramatic moment where Crystal is spoken to by uh, Black Bolt, mm-hmm. who when he opens his mouth, uh, creates terrible like explosion and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see she thing cries at the end of the issue. And then there's a pinup where she's laughing. Oh, at this pinup. Sharon Venture. So her <laughs> oh, name God. is Miss Marvel. Another Marvel. Do you think she'll be showing up in, um, in the Marvels? In the Marvels. The, the smash hit film of November, 2023. Every pinup needs some cheesecake. <laughs> oh, wow. This is reminding me of those Marvel swimsuit issues. Do you remember those? Oh yeah. Wow. Um, uh, where's Mr. Fantastic and Invisible Woman? Yeah, <laughs> like, that's never even explained, is it? No. Yeah, it this is not. this issue just lost me and baffled me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was not really Quicksilver is hanging out with the Inhumans. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Like some on. of the issues feel a little more evolutionary centric. This one felt like he's just kind of shoehorned into what was already planned mm-hmm. for the annual that year. You got to do just like a story that just runs through all the annuals. Yeah, like that's the only yeah. thing that makes sense. Then we have the Amazing Spider-Man annual number 22, mm-hmm. and that's where Speedball is introduced. Yeah, I had and loved this issue as a kid. <laughs> or and as I like to call him, is it Scourge? Uh, Penance. Penance. As he rechristens himself in the after the Civil War. Yes, because yes. he kills a house full of superheroes while filming a reality TV show. Yeah. Because he explodes. Yeah. And he re uh, uh, christens himself Penance and makes this really emo costume where he's covered in spikes. Because it hurts him yeah. when he uses his powers. <laughs> right. And what are his powers, Mike? His powers are that he uh, reacts kinetically in his speedball persona to like bounce around. He just bounces you, on things. That's, that's really his power. It. And uh, when he becomes Penance, he's fully clad in some armor. And uh, I think there's spikes inside the armor yeah. that are perpetually hurting him. Yeah, that's the, that and so he's suffering Yeah, penance. he's projecting the kinetic energy outwards. Now, that only happens stuff. in 2007 ish. Yeah, or so. And this was 1980. This is just him as a teenager. And this is his first appearance. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, he, you know, he comes off really endearing. I like him in this. They don't try and like have him be this too showy. Has a lot of stuff in it too, right? Because Daredevil's in this as yeah. well. Kingpin shows up, and very refreshingly, yeah. So Spider-Man, this is a great one-off Spider-Man yes. story. And it, everything we've been saying about other ones not really standing as standalone issues, I think this one kind of does. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a lot of stuff that all stands alone in this issue. And Spider-Man um, is f- not not so much framed, but accused of murdering. A bunch of people, a bunch of people at some like mob gathering or something like that. And I love the reason. And the reason is that like he supposedly bragged about it to a police officer after the fact. Yeah, did he just say, hey, there's uh, mobsters over there. That's all he told the police officer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But that police officer was having a bad day where he was like, oh, budget cuts. Yeah, I'd have my part. Yeah, like the police (laughs) budget has ever been cut ever. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Come on. Oh, man. Uh, So, yeah, fun issue, I would say. Very fun. Who, yeah. who wrote that one? Is that a... I think it might be Tom DeFalco created Speedball? Well, Tom DeFalco or, is the editor, see. so I don't know if he was writing Let at me that time. double check, because uh, I would like to... You know what? There's no credits at this. Oh, that's right. There is no credits, because I remember looking at it, and I was like, there's no credits on the issue that I have. Yeah. Uh, let's say Tom DeFalco, then. Why not? Do you know they were... So, uh, Speedball was most famously part of the New Warriors. The New Warriors, which we said we'd do an issue, episode on at yeah, some point. Yeah, because it had Night Thrasher, the yep. guy who rode a skateboard. That was his power. Yeah. Looked awesome riding a skateboard. Who was the other people? I had a few uh, issues. There was Nova, uh, Darkhawk, Namora, or Namorita. <laughs> like, one of Namor's female cousins in the exa- exact same uniform. Yeah. 
Um, I, oh man, that might be it. Later, slapstick. Do you remember slapstick? No. He was like a a cartoon come to life, like in that smash hit movie Evil Tunes. Oh, really? Like he was like this two dimensional. Wait, was he? A, okay, uh, like that's it was weird. almost like Imagine Warlock and the New Mutants, yeah. where it's like we need one sort of wacky alternative. You know, they like, shot the heck is a this? pilot for a live action New Mutant, sh- uh, New Warrior show. But it wasn't the characters you think. It was like oh, yeah, Squirrel has... Girl. Right. Uh, so some of the Great Lakes Avengers were in it. Yeah, that's like, right. Uh, Mortal and Man. That, and stuff. They never picked it up, so oh, wow. uh, never went to series. And I don't think it's ever even leaked either, unfortunately. That's weird. So let's move on to uh, X-Men. This... Uh, this one is cool because it was illustrated by Arthur Adams. Yes, it was. And um, I really like this issue. I will say, I was still like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. But it looked very pretty. And- you know, I haven't read Chris Claremont's like the you know gigantic years long epic run. Did Arthur but Adams whenever... illustrate a lot of that? Because I don't think he did, right? Because he was he had a difficulty uh, hitting deadlines. Uh, that's that is true. But yeah, whenever I read some Chris Claremont part of a thing like this, it really stands out as quality. Mm. And Even though that, as we've covered, you've never read Chris Claremont's run on X-Men. No, no. I mean, I know the broad strokes, and I know that this was the era when they were living in Australia for some reason, unbeknownst yes, to me. it was like the Outback years. Yeah. and Long even, shots on the team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and even not really knowing what was happening leading into this... I feel like this one kind of works as a standalone issue, too. Okay. Uh, I mean, granted, though, we have read Longshot. Yeah, uh, lots of stuff going on in this if, issue, though. If I didn't know who Longshot was, I'd be kind of lost, because he does feature quite a bit in this issue, uh, mm-hmm. as well as how his powers work. But I think they do explain a couple times in like editorial boxes. Like, if Longshot's uh, 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 like motive is pure, yeah. like he can always hit his target and uh, manipulate reality. Um, so you, were you sad that you didn't get to read the ex-baby's uh, backup story in this that is advertised on the cover because it's I not in the omnibus? Very much was, but I actually have that in some other collection. Oh, uh, do you? Because, yeah, the ex-baby's popped up a couple times. And um, for something called X-Babies, they it was... It was Mojo-related. Yeah, it was Mojo-related. It wasn't like a Muppet Baby-Z, like, here's Mm-mm. some kid version. Like, they were part of main continuity, and it was basically that Mojo decided to make a really cutesy, like, kid-friendly version of X-Men for his, like, you know, world built on TV. That's so, a whole issue for another time, though. Next up, we have Web of Spider-Man. Now, mm. I didn't even mention this. When I was a kid, I loved supersized issues. Mm. Like, if it said 64 pages or 80 pages, I'm like, I'm there. Because they like, weren't that much more than regular issues. Oh, where they weren't? 225 is pretty expensive but in I think, 1988. I think the regular issues were 125 at the okay. time. So an extra buck for something this big. Triple the size. Good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this issue has a few notable things about it. Mm-hmm. One of them being that it was written by Steve Gerber, right, creator of Howard the Duck. And Man-Thing. Man-Thing, Destroyer Duck. Mm-hmm. Did he do Web of Spider-Man for a while? I don't know of him ever writing Spider-Man beyond this issue. And I, yeah. I love Steve Gerber, but I only know him from those like very, very like uh, creator-specific Mm-hmm. Uh, bizarro uh, like things like his defenders run too now this mm-hmm. issue promises us he's bigger than kingpin he's the crime lord of miami he's the <laughs> slug and you're like wow i can't plus the debut of an all new marvel superhero mm-hmm. are you excited for this mike I, very much so even though i know what happens and i also had this so, issue as a kid the slug <laughs> is, so peter parker's on a tour of his spider-man photography yeah, he's Going published on talk a, shows. a book called Webs, Yeah, and it's Peter Parker's photographs of Spider-Man, which is kind of funny Like when you think about it. It's like you are now capitalizing more than you ever were, which mm. is kind of a bit inverse to like the Parker luck, as it's often called, about how down on his luck he is. 
he's now like you know getting you know flown around uh doing like the talk show circuit has this apparently best-selling book mm-hmm. um, i mean he's in miami yeah, doing a talk show appearances yeah yeah which, I, I do like that the photos are all panels from the stanley steve ditko run of spider-man yeah that's there, funny there's a great like one panel gag somewhere in dan slot's amazing spider-man run where you see like a remaindered bookstore with uh like like a box full of copies of webs, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty funny. Now the cover promises us promises us slug. Yeah, so can't wait to see Spider Man face up. Wait, he doesn't even need him. <laughs> he appears on probably like three pages just to be phone called. And by he's the a King large King. man yeah. whose power is he kills people by putting them in the folds of his flab. But he looks kind of immobile. Like I don't know how <laughs> like someone can be wedged inside of him without like being forced there by goons. Yeah. Like you'd think he'd be kind of useless on his own without people to like round up someone and then shove them into the slug. Yes. And so the uh, introduction of a new Marvel hero is a character named Poison, yeah. who I'm not familiar with. Did she ever appear again? I never saw her again, but um it she seemed like a very Steve Gerber character, yes. which I really liked. And this book being set in Florida is seemingly the excuse for Steve Gerber to incorporate Man-Thing. Yeah, Man-Thing's in this. Now, what's notable about this comic is mm-hmm. it was illustrated by an artist named Cynthia Martin. And when I saw that, I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. A woman drawing a mainstream comic? That never happened. And I looked. That's exactly what uh, every article I read said. It's like, this was very rare. It has a very interesting style that almost seems more indie than Marvel was doing at this time mm-hmm. that like, it's very realistic, but Spider-Man himself almost drawn in like a, like the way that he looked like in the Ralph Bakshi cartoon, yeah, like these poses yeah. and stuff like that. But the, the panel work, the mm-hmm. breakdowns, the layout, like everything is really, really good on this. Like the, the face of this poison character. Yeah. Uh, and, and okay so what does the high evolutionary do in this comic nothing, nothing. he's not even in this some of his robotic goons show up again and lots of poison i wonder if she showed up in man thing i maybe she did i do have and i haven't read it that yeah. big man thing omnibus that has all of the steve gerber man thing stuff in it oh wow i gotta give that a read at some point i wonder if she does because i have like some of the i think they collected all of it into like four or five mm. like slightly thick paperbacks and i have the first couple of those but not all of them and there's a backup story here that i don't think oh well mike probably read at the time about poison it's like an origin yeah of i don't remember that one at all but i do have this issue somewhere in my parents house. so i believe web of spider-man was the one where we're supposed to be like they would say it's like more peter parker centric stories mm-hmm. was, wasn't that the gimmick when yeah, I think it was like slice of life stuff. I don't remember Slug ever popping up again. Like, did you have you ever seen no, Slug outside I've never of this seen issue? Slug. Like, he looks like like someone's like, hey, we need the kingpin, but bigger. Yes. I mean, he has a phone call with the kingpin in the issue. Yeah. All right. So moving on, the next issue is West Coast Avengers annual number three. I can't for the life of me remember what even happens in this one. Oh, yeah. This is the one in the High Evolutionary's base. Oh, yes. Right, where you find out that uh, Bill Foster, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Goliath, who's the character that Lawrence Fishburne played in the first Ant-Man movie, or second, second Ant-Man, Ant-Man movie? Second Ant-Man movie, yeah. Um, has been undercover working as one of the high evolutionaries, <laughs> also, like, base goons. Goliath had cancer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. A lot of cancer in these storylines. But don't um, worry, he was cured by getting a blood transfusion from Spider-Woman. These comics are so complicated. Yeah, some of them, more than others, will just be riddled with, like, sea issues whatever of Wait, this other oh, series. this is the one where they go to like Wakanda and Black Panther yeah, shows up? you see there's the two West Coast Avengers teams like are on separate missions. I think like some of them 
go to the high evolutionary's base because uh, Goliath leaked out a message of like, what's going on here? And he's building some sort of mm-hmm. weapon or device or something. And a few others go to Wakanda to help Black Panther fight off the goons who are trying to steal the vibranium, which is really like why anyone would go to Wakanda, Do you think people really? have turned this episode off because they're like, yeah. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Who are these characters? <laughs> if, because, you've, if you've already turned this episode off, let us let know. Let us know. <laughs> yeah, so you turned it off. <laughs> or if you're just like reaching for stop and then you hear us say this stuff. But wait, so, Mo- so Moon Knight is on the West Coast Avengers? What? Yeah, and he's just written like some guy. Yeah, some he's guy. He's nothing like any modern Moon Knight appearance I've ever read. And doesn't he, is he dating Tigra or something? Like, doesn't he, who does he I thought kiss? Tigra was a villain. Uh, I guess, I think sometimes. Oh, and, and Mantis, uh, uh, who you can see kind of in the Guardians of the Galaxy film, also part of the team. Yeah, but she's mute. Is she? In this, is she? I, I guess. can't remember. Oh yeah, here it is. Yeah, Moon Knight kissing Tigra. Like... Mm. Like just this this Moon Knight dialogue here. Hello, I assume you terminated your robot too. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote this issue? Uh, oh, Steve Eagle uh, Engelhart. Steve Engelhart. Yeah. You know I, he's very prolific, and I know I own a lot of stuff that I like in no! this. Not always good. <laughs> I opened the issue, and just like the Fantastic Four, the binding went away because <laughs> these are not stapled; they're glued. Yeah. And let me tell you, yeah. after almost thirty years, the glue has fallen uh, off of these. I wonder. Why would I re-glue them? Who, uh, why do I care? <laughs> Maybe there's a service like CCG grading, like a no. What I'm going to do uh, is glue company that once will I have them, them all, yep. I'm going to finally send away for something I've always wanted to do, but was always too afraid to do. Mm-hmm. Is those book binding companies oh, yeah. that will bind them all together? I've seen some like homemade versions of those on a French shelf that look really attractive. I don't know how do you use. do it though. Like it looks complicated. I wish I could just do it. Well, myself. they're actually like cutting the inner spine of the whole comic by yes. like a millimeter or so. And yeah, then... and uh, you you have to remove the cover as well. I yeah. believe to put it in, right? Uh, I think so. I'm okay. not sure, but that's yeah. We'll look into that. Uh, next issue is uh... if you do book binding of comic books, contact us at the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You better have a website. <laughs> Uh, next one is Peter Parker, the Spectacular oh, Spider-Man. Right. So annual. I looked at the cover of this, and you see Gwen Stacy, and Peter Parker's like, oh, no. And I was like, does the clone, do they start here? Not the clone. I love that he's saying, oh, no, not again. Gwen so Stacy's actually, back. As if she, she has actually come back, back as a clone? Because they make reference to clones in this. They they do, because the Jackal was always someone who was involved in cloning. Yes, and cloning. pops up in the clone saga. He's the one in charge right? of the clone saga, yeah. yeah. And uh, I love the dramatic return of the young gods, which <laughs> I have young never heard of. And of the three Spidey annuals, this is the one I didn't buy as a kid in this series. I have never heard of these characters until reading this anew. Uh, I like this issue, um, though. This was good. Because I like yeah. the like, um, drama between... Sp- uh, so Gwen Stacy shows back up, mm-hmm. and Spider-Man's like, oh, I love Gwen Stacy, but I'm married to Mary Jane. I think they're married at this point, right? Like, fairly newly married. Because yeah. I think that happened in 86, 87 or so. And uh, Jerry Conway, awesome writer. Yeah, well... Well, um, awesome. He he was a journeyman in the I, Marvel, especially yeah, the, the I mean, Spider-Man yeah, comics. I like it, I like his stuff a lot. Uh, what what is a great Jerry Conway book? Um, you know what? I'd be hard pressed to like think of a standout <laughs> other yeah. than just seeing his name and going, oh, okay, uh, I yeah. like him because he wrote uh, along with Roger Stern. I associate them with that kind of like. Let's be honest, the fallow period of Spider-Man mm-hmm. comics, like they're the ones who wrote them a lot, and uh, very notably, uh, some very early work by Mark Bagley. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Mark Bagley penciled this issue. And I and Mark Bagley will go on to do Ultimate Spider-Man? Yep. Uh, the first 111 issues, if I recall. This looks all nothing like uh, Mark Bagley's art, because he's doing it in the Marvel style. Yeah, and Mark Bagley, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, is one of the rare cases of someone getting hired by the Marvel tryout book. Do you remember this book you could buy that had pages to pencil, remember, pages yep. to color, pages to ink? So he's someone who actually did, uh, like filled out some sections of that, uh, mailed them in, and I think got hired at like age 17 or 18 or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, so a lot of early artists would, you know, usually get their start trying to copy someone else. Like I mentioned in an earlier uh, issue, I'm going to keep calling these episodes issues. Yeah. Why not? Um, if you look at early Bill Sinkowitz art, it looks nothing like his very distinct style. Because yeah, well, he was trying to copy Neil Adams. Uh, and that's fine. Okay. Yeah, that's Neil fine. Adams is, if you're going to copy, copy from like, you know. The some... greats. Exactly. So this one, I thought it was fun. Like they go to the yeah. high evolutionary base. Um, there's a dramatic conflict. Even though at the end it's like, the young gods have arrived to save the day. I was like, who the hell are these characters? Yeah, you could trim these characters out entirely. That said, I kind of wanted to know more about them. If, you're sick. <laughs> if, you're a sick man. If they are one of those short-lived characters who were never seen again. Okay. If there's like a, a five-issue Young Gods miniseries from 1988 or 89, I would read that. Um, but uh, otherwise, yeah, it's, um, you know, here's a clone of Gwen Stacy. It's, you know, kind of making Spider-Man, like, think about her, and it's affecting him and his Mary Jane's relationship. And then... Uh, you know, the twist at the end was that... Uh, she's not a clone. She's not a clone. She's, she's someone that was hypnotized yeah. by someone else to think that they were Gwen Stacy. And genetically altered to look like Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. And, and she just goes back to normal at the end. Pretty much. And amidst all this, like, you know, high evolutionary goons had captured her for reasons. Who knows yeah. why? It's like, we need to study this cloning process. And, you know, they Spidey rescues her and they go back to New York. And that's that. And he rekindles his romance with Mary Jane. Well, I can't wait for the big climax of the evolutionary war to happen. <laughs> now, I, I do quite like this issue because it was the A story was double sized in this one. This was an even uh, thicker annual okay. because this one was about 80 pages. I read through this one yeah. and I went, what is going on? There's Grey Hulk. There's the Beast yeah. who's now in Beast mode. Who are the other te- uh, members of the Avengers at this time? Well, the members of the Avengers at this time were nobody. Nope. Yeah. Oh, were they broken up? That's a plot point. I, uh, I don't know how or why because I wasn't well, reading Nomad, who's not Captain America, yeah. is, in, is there. Uh, you also have Falcon. Yep, Falcon. Uh, you know, Blue Beast. Is that Hercules? That's Hercules. Yeah. Uh, Jocasta, who's a robot. Uh, <laughs> I do not know who that is. Grey Hulk. And this female Yellow Jacket, I have no idea who this is. I thought that might be Wasp on the cover. Um, is it not Wasp? It's not. It's okay. like someone who I think uh, they imply broke in and stole the Yellow Jacket suit previously. I don't know who it is. And um, the, the weird thing about this issue is... Who wrote this one? Is it Steve? It's uh, Walter Simonson. Oh, he's a good writer, though. Yeah. And I, Mark Bright penciled, and the name rings a bell. It doesn't... I can't place who he is without mm-hmm. looking it up. But no. I thought this worked pretty well as a standalone issue. Uh, more so, I think... You could have not had the event at all yeah, and just, just had, had this one issue because yeah. this is a double-sized issue. And uh, the high evolutionary has nearly completed his uh, so-called gene bomb, which will detonate in the atmosphere and mutate M- everyone Make everybody, yeah, uh, super smart. Yeah. Or grow big heads, as we'll yeah. see in the uh, what-if issue. And uh, there's no Avengers at the time. And um, the Jocasta, who's this robot who... I guess was on the Avengers at some point and has been rebuilt by the High Evolutionary, puts out a distress call to Avengers HQ on some island, and then that activates like the reserve 
emergency signal that just draws any nearby Avengers to the base. And so on the cover, I thought this might be U.S. agent, but it's, you know, Cap in his, like, black and red oh, and white not, suit. Oh, so... This so is that like is Steve Rogers. Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's Steve Rogers, uh, apparently I thought, I from thought some. Nomad was. Uh, I guess I'm incorrect. That Nomad is Captain America because U.S. Agent took over the Captain America helm. It's very complicated. I yes. don't know the details. And then Nixon it's... committed suicide. Was later revealed to be a Skrull. Yeah, so much back and forth. In Avengers Forever. Um. So yeah, a bunch of heroes are gathered. Uh, just the ones who hear the distress call. I love that this is Beast back in his like beastly prime and Beast dialogue here is this is my favorite kind of beast if you've ever seen like the x-men 90s animated series like this is this is the you know oh my stars and garters like flowery speaking beast voiced by george booza as he was in the show canadian actor i mean they Uh, were all canadian actors yeah actually they were that show was voiced non-union pretty much um yeah i i love how like cheerful and delightful and like excited beast is here even though i have no idea why he's back to being a blue mutant beast uh, after being like just a hulky human in the uh, here, like there's no explanation. Oh, because it says uh, Hulk 350 had those details for oh, something else. Does it? Okay, but I think three months have passed in like publishing time between mm. this issue and that X Factor. They didn't one. all come out in the same month. No, these are week by week. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, this art is a little funky. Look how the Hulk looks. Yeah, yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> You should post that on the Instagram because I don't think I've ever seen the Hulk look like that. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> like his eyes are tiny. His forehead is huge. Yeah. That is very, very bizarre. And, uh, and he's not Smart Hulk. He's not Mr. Fix-It, is No, he? no. So this is like Gray Hulk, but he is just kind of like Angry Hulk. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's it's a pretty bog standard storyline, like, but well done, I thought. Mm-hmm. And I love Walter Simonson as a writer. And so uh, you could dismiss Everything that has come before, because it never impacts Pretty anything. much. Like, someone could just read this Avengers issue, get everything you need to know about the high <laughs> well, evolutionary. Out of all the things, oh, this would be doing. the lowest on the list of stuff we've read to recommend. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I was hoping, like, when you do a crossover like this, yeah. you hope that, like, all the threads come together in the last issue. Yeah. Making it worthwhile that you read everything leading up to that. <laughs> and that does not happen. No. At, at all. Like, this is just a standalone Avengers adventure, and they stop the uh, High Evolutionary and his, his, his gene bomb from going off. Uh, they sort of Hercules, who's already a god, and... Uh, Didn't he grow a giant or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they bombard him with, like, some of the high evolutionaries, like, uh, energy or evolutionary energy. They evolve him into being even more godly, and he fights the evolutionary, and they both sort of dissipate into energy, and the Avengers uh, save the day. But yeah. what if <laughs> we lost the evolutionary war? Yeah. So this... I had never read this what-if issue, and this might be... One of my favorites of all time for how to use one of your favorite words again, bananas. bananas. This I issue is- I only use is, that word any, uh, because it's not nice to use crazy anymore, even though I want it's, to. It's not. Let's say, uh, and uh, if you were someone who likes to drop acid and read comics, this is a good one. Don't all what if issues kind of end this way though? <laughs> well, this one goes so much more cosmically crazy. Yeah, than it feels I expected. like Miracle Man. It really does, and. We've joked many times. Well, not joked. It's it's true. It's true. So many what if issues just end with everyone dying. Yeah. It's like because like we take it to the logical extreme yeah. of like what if Spider Man didn't get it? Everybody dies. Yeah. Pretty. What much. What if the Hulk um 
was Betty Roth. Everybody dies. Like, that's how it always works. Pretty much. And in this one, the premise is, what if the evolutionary's gene bomb went off? And it kind of is a little bit of a happy ending (laughs) of sorts. Well, not really. No, because Um, Earth, uh, we all get giant foreheads, all human beings. But it leads to peace on Earth. Everyone becomes highly advanced and intelligent. And uh, all war ceases. Uh, Earth becomes this paradise of, like, progress and, and utopia. Everyone who had superpowers, they get supercharged. Yeah, they become like, yeah, like godly superchargers. Like, not sort of, they don't get the mutated heads. But they don't like it, though. They don't like Like it. Like, Daredevil is like, I can hear everything. Yeah, so most of them leave Earth in some sort of like godly force of light. Like, they're just kind of flying through space while everyone left on Earth, which includes like Captain America has a giant head. Yeah, Doctor Doom. Yeah, like anyone who is humanoid is part of this advanced, yeah. you know, new uh, superhuman race. And uh, High Evolutionary's work has... A, and don't we... Uh, humanity turns into pure energy and goes through the cosmos. Yeah, like you see that the mutants flying through the cosmos eventually like merge with eternity and yeah. death and become some like an omnipresent being and then... <laughs> shift into another uh who like, wrote the story let's let's look <laughs> this, this up steve gerber-esque i i hope it is because it really seems like his sort of thing uh actually it's uh roy thomas who was just a marvel guy yeah. like yeah no I one think he uh, did a lot of what if and yeah. uh i thought this one was phenomenally creative i honestly thought this would just be the gene bomb goes off okay a lot of people are mutated for the better a lot for worse a lot of people become animals and uh the earth is spider-man gets like up. 10 arms yep uh, it looks like the thing grows giant, but maybe that's just bad perspective. Uh, Hulk gets smart, and everyone is glowing. Oh, it, doesn't Dormammu attack? And all the magicians, like because they were working in like tandem, because uh, everyone, every humanoid who who has these evolved hyper brains now become like a a linked hive mind. Mm-hmm. So the magicians manage to like banish Dormammu forever. Like it's as as weird as this issue gets. Everyone kind of gets what they want. Like, the, all these sort of mutants fly off and become some new singular omni-being and then get to, you know, create their own new universe. All of humanity, like, is linked together on Earth and then sort of merges with the Earth itself into some sort of, like, hive Earth as mm. some sort of living entity. And mm. it and high evolutionary, you know, stands kind of proud but lonely, like his work was done, but... But what uh, did he have to do now? Yeah, exactly. That's all it. right. So, finally, what happens in Alpha Annual number one? <laughs> so, in the... canonical, as confirmed by Marvel Sourcebooks, ALF Annual Number 1. The High Evolutionary appears. Should we say what ALF is for anyone who doesn't know? I mean, they know what the TV show ALF is. You've looked up ALF. I mean, Show Factory has been talking about ALF lately. Uh, So there was a Marvel ALF comic that ran for much of the late 80s through early 90s. It is phenomenal. That is the word we're going to put on your gravestone. (laughs) Phenomenal. Phenomenal. (laughs) Mike Wood. Phenomenal. Of ALF comics. (laughs) I owned every Phenomenal issue, says Mike Wood. Comics. And then there's a, an image of Alf. <laughs> I have no nostalgia um, for Alf. Never watched it oh, before my time. I love this show. But again, I'm but a ridiculously cats. old man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> Alf Annual Number 1, which was cover branded as part of the Evolutionary War crossover, features a story in the middle where the evolutionary appears to Alf late at night after the rest of the family are in bed. And he clearly already knows about the planet Melmac and uh, 
you know, Alf, you know, cracks wise at him when he first appears, and the evolutionary says, like, ah, yes, the Melmachian custom of ridiculing a visiting dignitary's attire. How quaint. Like, so, he like, knows their customs. He yeah, knows so what Melmachs are. canonically in the Marvel Universe, then. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, it's a cute little throwaway story, and uh, a lot of people question well, nothing the... happens. The revolutionary shows up, yeah, he just and he's talks. like, you want to do something? No? All right, I'm out of here. Yeah, and then he threatens Alf, like, you better stay out of the way of, uh, of humanity's evolution. And he leaves. And uh, the uh, canonicalness of this was debated for a while until it actually popped up in one of those Marvel source books uh, alluded to this meeting. So, Alf, canonical part of the Marvel Universe, now and forever. Even though that this ALF special is not included in the omnibus, I believe. Which is probably for licensing reasons. Which yeah, is like, that's why. Yeah, I don't know. I wish they had. Well, uh, you can still read it if you go and find this issue for a dollar, I assume. Which we did at Harrison's Comics. That's right. In Salem, Massachusetts this spring. And now, uh, don't open that up because the binding will probably fall right out. No, I'm saving that thing forever and burying it with me under my ALF tombstone. So somewhere. I didn't know we were doing this episode so soon, so I have on the way the missing issues of <laughs> the <laughs> Evolutionary Comic, Evolutionary War. But that's awesome. I mean, look, they're falling apart. The glue isn't lasting, but no. I love the like look and yes. style and trade dress of these for the time. And I kind of loved, so this style too, which was new at the time, they reused for the next like five or six years of annual crossovers they do like this weird colored box at the top different color in every issue and then they'd have this like sort of uh, same font underneath listing what the crossover so it was, was like atlantis attacks yeah there's another one that is weird like uh mole man or something like that yeah so those were the only two ones that were as big in scope as this one and it's mm -hmm. probably because atlantis attacks was not as well received or not as big seller and <laughs> evolutionary war yeah. evolution war i think sold pretty well from okay. what i've read and um, so they switch the format up to instead of doing like a line wide thing, they do smaller micro stories that might last like three or four, you know, annuals mm. a piece. Uh, there's one I really love called Lifeform uh, with just a random uh, AIM employee. That's Modox Group, Advanced Idea Mechanics, mm -hmm. um, just gets infected by something at work and just continues to mutate and turns into some like more and more horrific thing. Uh, and it starts as a street level thing versus the Punisher and ends as like some, you know, gargantuan cosmic beast. So I'm Silver looking Server here annual. and it's Saga of the Serpent Crown, mm. Atlantis Attacks, they're put together, followed by Inferno. That was an X-Men crossover. That was before this. Oh, was it? Yeah. I, October yeah. 1988, March 1989. No, that's oh, after you know this. What? It ran around. Okay. Same year. And then uh, Acts of Vengeance. Mm. I don't know what that one is. Uh, I'm looking in the 90s. Kings of Pain, Return of the Defenders, Dead Man's Hand. Oh, these are just small events. They're just included together. Rise of the Midnight Suns. Mm. Those aren't like big, you know, crossing Yeah, over they weren't all like the in issues. the annuals. Yeah. yeah, the annuals thing they only did from, I like... This one in 1988 through about 1993. So when are we going to do the Onslaught saga? Never. <laughs> Heroes Reborn? Oh, no, I don't want to read that either. <laughs> I've never read those. I, no, I, I read just, them at the time. Really? Okay. Onslaught. Isn't it Magneto and Professor Xavier? Yeah, it's like them merged into one thing. And Heroes Reborn was an excuse to bring like all the image guys back in. Yeah. Well, next one we'll do is, uh, I don't know. Armageddon 2000, the DC crossover. I like that one. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Bad ending, though. Bad ending, but um, interesting to talk about from a okay. publishing standpoint. And a lot of those stories were basically just uh, what ifs. Oh, it was okay. A, it, yeah, that's all it was.
So as per usual, you can send us letters at uh, the very fine comic book podcast at gmail.com or you can go on our Instagram, the very fine comic book podcast and send a message, which Mike will read. Yeah. And we have one here from Will Jones uh, and he says, very excited for you to tackle the Dark Horse Godzilla series. Uh, which we mentioned in a recent mm-hmm. episode that uh, uh, someone gifted Justin a bunch of those issues. Uh, All of the issues. <laughs> those trades were something I reread over and over again when I was younger. Uh, two points. Godzilla versus Hero Zero is one of the most depressing and baffling comics I have ever read. Oh, I love that comic. I messaged Mike about it after I read it. Yeah, yeah. And he says, and the Godzilla versus Charles Barkley. That one was not included. Not in included. The, because... For rights reasons. Uh, no, the, the guy uh-huh. gave... Uh, me, he's like, it's all the God- Godzilla comic except for Godzilla versus Charles Barkley because he gave that one to Will. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's the one Godzilla comic Will That's got. amazing. I wonder if Godzilla's ever fought Gnarls Barkley. Boo. You know, uh, that <laughs> that idea is crazy. My, Mike, what uh, did I say? Comedy is not just words that rhyme with each other. That's true, and what a dated reference. Uh, anyway, he says, I wanted to ask if either of you were fans of Adam Warren. He's a guy I absolutely love but doesn't seem to get mentioned much. He was one of the very first, and in my opinion, best American artists to adopt a manga style, and his work is full of energy and humor. And now he goes on to say, I'd recommend his Gen 13 miniseries, Grunge the Movie, as a good starting point. And I have read that, and it is awesome. Well, uh, Adam Warren, yeah. I look at those trade paperbacks on the shelf, and I go, oh, those are wrapped in plastic. Too sexy for me, Some empowered. Them, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says of Grunge the Movie, it's a wonderful love letter to 80s and 90s Hong Kong cinema, and actually introduced me to a lot of those movies back before I had proper internet access. I held in my hands mm-hmm. volume one of Gen 13 recently, and I went... Eh, I don't know. Three dollars, <laughs> and I put it back on the shelf. Oh wow! And Did probably, you ever read Gen Thirteen? Yeah, I, I amongst that image boom, I had. Uh, I don't think at least was, I don't believe that was an image or, title. I think it might have still been Brandon Wildstorm at the yeah, time. Yeah, it was Wildstorm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I had the first uh, like I don't know like several issues of that and that grunge miniseries. And Gen Thirteen was big enough to warrant parodies of itself too i remember there was there an was animated like, movie that was made there was like some like you know like pg-13 sexy parody called skin 13 mm. um which had this really, like really bulky naked version of grunge on the cover like covering himself up with like a cocktail umbrella um and uh I remember not a single thing about the story of Grun- of uh, Gen 13. This grunge miniseries I do, because, yeah, the Hong Kong-esque references throughout were really fun. Interesting. Um, you know and- what? Maybe I'll finally uh, try to make sure no one's looking and pick up uh, <laughs> Empowered off the shelf. For my knowledge, is a comic mostly about a woman losing her clothes and give it a read. Yeah, I haven't read those, but isn't it like uh, she has some bodysuit and the more torn it is like the more powerful she she is i don't know i've never read it Uh, i don't know but i mean i've seen the art it's you know it's it's cutesy it's not like i think trying to be like overly titillating Mm -hmm. or sexy uh it does look like you know a a manga series but you know an adam warren style american manga yeah so i will absolutely check it out Mm -hmm. next week all right we're getting classy after the evolutionary war (laughs) we sold out and now we're moving to stuff that people uh do they enjoy this is pretty popular right i mean it's disney which one the uh life and times of scrooge mcduck make sure i get it right the oh. one by da- don rosa yes wonderful wonderful series <laughs> did you forget already i just I, told you like an hour ago we've we been talking about the evolutionary war for an hour <laughs> you're like where does scrooge mcduck meet the high uh. evolutionary was he created by the high evolutionary is this made clear in the comics is he trying to evolve money into hyper money mm. um do you like the car bark scrooge mcduck love it those are some of the first comics i ever bought uh because uh, there's a publisher called whitman comics that was reprinting 
watching a lot of older uh, Carl Barks stuff mm. in the 80s. And um, the Carl Barks Uncle Scrooge adventure comics were uh, the, this is on record by George Lucas, like the number one source of inspiration for Indiana Jones. Yes. Uh, among other, like, pulp yeah, adventure comics. they stole the rolling uh, boulder from... Uh... An Uncle Scrooge comic. Yeah, yeah. And it, but that's not what we're talking about. we're talking about. Technically. So in the late 80s, a fellow named Don Rosa uh, started writing uh, and drawing, I believe, mm-hmm. Uncle Scrooge comics. And, and many other people had, but he is considered like the definitive sort of successor to the Carl Barks style. And he loved the Carl Barks comics, which mm-hmm. is uh, his... Basically, The Lifetime of Scrooge McDuck is kind of like a prequel comic to Scrooge McDuck's adventure in the Carl Barks comics, but referencing all the stuff that, you know, is in the Carl Barks comics as well. Yeah, and it was approximately about a dozen issues long, if I recall, and it's been collected many times in many configurations. Uh, It's perpetually in print. And uh, Oh, but I believe they edited some parts of it recently was a big kerfuffle. Oh. Probably because there was some uh, politically incorrect stuff in them. Uh, Well, I mean, that can happen with a lot of stuff. I I think Fantagraphics just put out like a huge oversized version. Okay. That's like $300 or something like that. Wow. I have an old hardcover Fantagraphs reprint of it. Yeah, mine's from like, I don't know, early 2000s. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to see if you guys want to this along with us yeah go to your local library they're almost guaranteed to have a copy of yeah this. This in the is, kids section absolutely this is going to be like a you know as libraries call it an evergreen title mm-hmm. like one that's always in print that's always going to be available at bookstores and libraries and such this is considered like the definitive uncle scrooge story of i'd, I'd say like the you know near classic or modern age mm-hmm. and the what don rosa was trying to do with this was create a definitive like origin of scrooge but taking story beats and things that have been referenced in Carl Barks the decades comics, of Carl yeah. Barks comics and turning them into one chronology for so Scrooge's we're going to be reading every Carl Barks comic right <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds um, no, and no there's a lot and uh, we'll be watching all of the original DuckTales and the new DuckTales <laughs> we that should... reference probably reference the Don Rosa stuff that's, all the time too that's true although we should not mention DuckTales in the episode because Don Rosa does not like getting compared to DuckTales he does not uh, I don't know if there was some Ooh, sort of um, which is not what they say t- stealing uh, some ideas without crediting him but when I met Don Rosa at Fan Did Expo, you mention DuckTales? No, you no. Fools. He has a, a preventative sign at his table that says this is not DuckTales. Okay. These are the original stories by you know mm. Don Rosa and Carl Barks which inspired blah 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 the Disney series. Uh, what about yada, talking yada, yada. to him about Goof Troop? Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we'll be talking about next week. Until then, my name is Dustin the Clue. I'm Mike Wood. Keep reading comics. Oh, Charles Darwin, what a good scientist. Evolution in the Galapagos, riding on the beagle, looking at the animals, looking at the fossils, coming up with theories. Charles Darwin, what a smart person, had a big theory about the evolution. He started thinking, looking at stuff. He started thinking maybe we came from the apes. I don't know. It's just a theory, but I was thinking that it might be true. And all of the people saying, Charles Darwin, what are you talking about? We're not apes. How could you say that about human beings? You're a bad person, la 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 la. But then all the people started thinking about Darwin. People started thinking maybe Darwin is correct. Darwin was like, you bet I am correct. I am a genius. La 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 la. Charles Darwin riding on the beagle. 
Looking at the animals, thinking all about them Coming up with theories about evolution Natural selection, la 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 